Take your Bibles again and go a few books forward back to the book of Joshua. Began a couple weeks ago in the book of Joshua, looking at chapter 1. We want to move now to chapter 2 and this account of Rahab and the spies and Jericho. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. Let me ask you to stand as we hear God's word and as we give reverence to his holy and infallible word. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath, that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. 
And the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Amen. You can be seated. It's not often that we get second chances, is it? It's not often that we get an opportunity to redo something in a better way. I remember the earthquake in Haiti in January 2010, late in the afternoon, 4.53 p.m., a 7.0 earthquake struck that big city, and many people died, but also many people were trapped under the rubble. And that same evening, a friend of mine came to me and said, I was across the street from this school, and there were all of these girls trapped in the school. I wasn't able to do much because it was getting dark. I had to come home, but we need to go tomorrow. And so we returned to the city in this three-story building made out of concrete, and concrete blocks had collapsed on itself with these girls who had been at school late in the afternoon inside. And we went, and with the help of people, by God's grace, we were able to pull some of them from the rubble. As you looked there, you would see just a small hole, and you would hear that there was somebody under there, and you wondered to yourself, how was it that they were able to survive? But digging through, pulled them out, and 10 or 12 of them were saved, none of them with serious, life-threatening injuries. They got a second chance, as it were, didn't they? A second chance to repent, a second chance to live for the Lord. But I remember standing on top of that building, and as you, you turned away this vision, two girls who had been at their desks, they were in their school desk, seated there, and they had been crushed by a wall. They didn't get a second chance. They were one moment alive. The earthquake comes and the next moment seeing their Savior. So I want you to think about that tonight, about those second chances, and just to be reminded as we see this story that God is very gracious. He often gives us not just one chance, but more than one. And to this woman, Rahab, Rahab the prostitute, living in the city of Jericho, God gave her, too, a second chance. As we begin in verse 1 of chapter 2, we read about Joshua, the son of Nun, sending out spies secretly from Shittim to go and look over the land, specifically the city of Jericho. And here even we see, if you remember back, if you know the story of the Bible and can rewind about 40 years, you realize that Israel too, in a way, is getting a second chance here, aren't there? Because 40 years before, Moses had sent out 12 spies into the land. He had sent them out to find out what's going on with the land. Is it really as good as the Lord said? What kind of enemies are we going to find? Are there large cities there? Can the Lord deliver this land, this promised land to us? And 10 of those spies came back and gave a 
bad reports, a lack of faith, and said, no, there's giants in those land. And yet two of them came back and said, yes, we can. We can take the land. The Lord will give it to us. But the judgment of God on Israel was for them to wander in the desert for 40 years until that faithless generation died off. We're now in the next generation, and Joshua sends out these two spies to go here. He sends them out. And the question is, will it be different this time? This second chance, is there going to be a change? Is something going to be different in the life of the people of Israel? But we might ask, well, there's all kinds of details in the story. What's the story really about? What's the center of this account that's before us? Is it about the spies? Is it about preparation for a great battle that's going to come against the great city of Jericho? Is it about a prostitute? Is it about the ethical issues, about her lying? Is it about the king, about his fears, about this city, about the coming judgment? And what I want you to see is that I think the center of this story, the focus, what God really wants us to see here is Rahab and the fact that God is plucking her out of the city and saving her to himself. A certainly unexpected thing in the midst of a city that is devoted to destruction. And so in chapter 2, verse 11, her confession of faith is what God wants you to see. It's kind of that illustration, as it were, of Jesus' parable in the New Testament. You remember that story he tells of the 99, the 100 sheep that are lost, the 99. They don't need saving, but there's one that wanders off. And he goes to save that one and the great rejoicing over just one. The great rejoicing in heaven over the salvation of just one soul. And in a way, God is bringing this to your attention because you are that person. You are that Rahab. You are that one soul that God has chosen to save by his grace if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus. And it's a reminder, even though Joshua isn't the center of this story in chapter 2, that he is God saves. You remember that? Joshua, his name, it means Yahweh saves. And he is the Old Testament type, the embodiment of Jesus, Yeshua, who comes with the same name to save us from our sins. So I want you to see tonight that God speaks life into a city under the sentence of death. And we see it first in Rahab's secret mission. We're going to see her kind of secret mission and what happens in the first few verses as the spies come. We're going to see it in her true confession and then thirdly in her godly obedience. But let's look at these first few verses and some of the characters that are presented to us. First, we see the spies, in obedience to Joshua's command, what do they do? They go across the Jordan River. They secret themselves into the city. And we hear that it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. He has his own spies 
in the city. He knows all of the business, all the things that happen, all the people that come through the gates, and he finds out that these spies are here. He knows that Israel is on the doorstep. It's hard to hide a great multitude of people, a million, two million. Even though they're across the Jordan, he knows that they are there. And so he wants to get intelligence to find out what is going on. Can I grab these men? Can I keep Israel from understanding and knowing what's going on in Jericho? But you see his fear, don't you? Bring them out, he says. But they've closed the gate. The great city with huge walls. And yet this king is fearful. But the spies come, and they come to the woman. She had taken them and hidden them. They go into Rahab's house, and they begin to understand as they hear the people speaking, as they understand their fears by faith, they begin to understand that God is going to give them this city. But really, at the center again is Rahab, because the king, it says in verse Verse 3, the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. He's kind of relying on what? He's relying on her patriotism, as it were, her connection to the city, figuring maybe she doesn't understand what they're here to do. But she, desiring to protect the men, tells the king a lie. She says, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. We'll find out later on, beginning in verse 8, that she really did know who they were. Because what's happened here is we've kind of gone a little bit back in the story, and later on, down in verse 8, we're going to see what's happened before, before Rahab has hidden these men on her roof. But she says, no, I don't know who they were. Uh, and then she says, when the gate was about to be closed, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. She is putting forth this deception to send the king's men on the wrong path so that these men might be delivered. But she doesn't tell the truth. And it's a reminder again that Rahab, like all of us, like all of these people that God brings to our attention in the Old Testament, are sinners. She's called a prostitute. She has given at least part of her life to sexual immorality. She doesn't always tell the truth. She doesn't trust in God as she should. But... She protects the spies. How are we like Rahab? Well, it's easy, isn't it, in the ups and downs of life, not always to trust the Lord, to not always do the right thing. But like Rahab, most of all, outside of Christ, we are members of the city of the world. And we are under, like Rahab, the judgment of God. She's living in Jericho. She is under the judgment of God. I remember visiting years ago the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, and they have this beautifully designed chapel. 
And if you go into the the chapel, it, it goes up to a great height, and hanging at the front of that chapel is a cross. And the cross is made in the shape of a sword. It's got it's like a sword hanging down, and it's got the two sides of it. And I thought, what a what an interesting image. Right? On the one hand, we are all under the judgment of God. And yet it's only through that cross that we escape the judgment. And so it is, too, with Rahab. Well, the question is, will she escape that judgment? Yes, she's saved the spies. Yes, she's protected the spies. But what about her eternal destiny? And that's the focus beginning in verse 8, Rahab's true confession. We go back in time now. It says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, So before she had hidden them, she comes and she speaks to them. Listen to her words. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. She confesses that God has given them, given Israel the land, just as he had promised to Moses, just as he had promised to Abraham, he had given them the land, and even Rahab understands that. She confesses that, yes, everything belongs to God, and this land is for him. She understands something of God's holiness. The fear of God has fallen upon the people. They are quaking in their boots because they've heard the stories already of how God has defeated the enemies of Israel. He's defeated Pharaoh in Egypt. He's defeated other kings along the way. God's holiness is as they have melted away in fear. Their hearts, their courage has melted. She has heard that and she understands why. Their hearts should have been melting in repentance Right, This wicked nation serving idols, turning away from God, but instead in fear. Even though they have the walls, even though they have the army, even though they have all the outward trappings that would make them victorious, they are fearful. But they have also heard of God's deliverance. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when You came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. Now, of course, back in Joshua's day, they didn't have CNN. They didn't have social media, ways of word getting around. But an event this big and this important would get around. In Haiti, uh, at least before everybody had a phone when we were there early, They had an expression about the way news got around to people, and they called it Radio 32, Radio 32. The idea was that you have 32 teeth in your mouth, right? And it was people just speaking to one another. You'd go to the market and you'd tell the news to the one person. They would pass it on to the next and the next until everybody knew the news of the day. Well, that's what happened here. The news had been received in Jericho. They had heard of the deliverance God had given the people out of Egypt, how he had destroyed all their enemies, how he had devoted them to destruction. And we'll see in subsequent weeks the importance of that. 
But in verse 11, we hear particularly her confession. And as soon as we heard it, Rahab says, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and in the earth beneath. She confesses God as the creator of the heavens and the earth. She confesses God as the one who is sovereign over all things. And she also understands God's covenant. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with me. That's that word for covenant faithfulness. The covenant faithfulness that God had with Abraham in giving him a son. The covenant faithfulness God is expressing to Israel as he's giving them the promised land. So she says, show covenant faithfulness to me, even as I have saved your lives. Now save mine as you come into the land and as you devote it to destruction. This is Rahab's confession. Is it a true confession? Yes, certainly she speaks of it as your God, the the spy's God, but we're going to see that she too, does deeds in keeping with repentance that express her true faith in God. It's not just words for Rahab, but it is a true confession. And she asks the spies to do what? She says, deal kindly with me as I have with you and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. What signs has God given in the past? He's given the sign of the rainbow in the skies, reminding Noah and his posterity that he would never again destroy the world with water. He had given them the sign of circumcision. We read earlier tonight in Exodus chapter 9, God had given signs, the plagues against Egypt, to tell Israel that he is the one true God and that he was going to deliver them from Egypt. A sure sign. And how does God respond? Well, he responds because he sees that it is a true confession. The men, the spies, say to her in verse 14, our life for yours, even to death. Our life for yours. Here's the grace part of the story. Right, That great exchange that we see throughout the Bible that comes to culmination at the cross where Jesus gives his life, the innocent, for the guilty and saves his people from their sins. There's lots of judgment that's going to come in this book of Joshua. The whole nation, all the nations in the promised land are going to be devoted to destruction. Every man, woman, and child is going to die under the judgment of God. Yet in the midst of this, here's a picture of God's grace. A prostitute, a Canaanite, an idol worshiper, and yet by the Holy Spirit, God has worked in her life. And again, Like Rahab, you were like her. You were that outsider. I don't think probably any of you are a descendant of Abraham, a Jew of the Jewish 
people. We're all Gentiles, outsiders, and yet God has chosen to bring us in like Rahab, to graft us in to the vine. To show the truth of what Paul expresses in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what Rahab shows us. She confesses the name of the true God. She looks to the spies to give her a sign that she will be saved. And in a way, we see it, she gives up her life in hiding them, knowing that judgment could come, asking them to give theirs as well, to give their word. And so she is saved, like Christian from the great city. Evangelist comes and says, flee the city. Do you remember that in the Pilgrim's Progress? Flee from the city of destruction. And it seems like he's the only one who listens. He's the only one who hears with ears of faith. And he leaves the city in fire and brimstone. The judgment of God rains down. And yet God has been gracious to save a sinner. That's her true confession. Finally, then, Rahab's godly obedience. The question is, what then? Again, we want to ask that question. Is it really a true confession? Is there good deeds that follow from that, that show us that Rahab's heart has really changed. We're called to show gratitude. I remember, I think it was back in 2013, our yard worker, Menos, came to work for us one day, and he was weak. He had not eaten that day. We didn't really know how sick he was, but by the end of the day, he couldn't even, he didn't even have strength to go home. And all through that night, Heather nursed Maynaz. He had been struck down by cholera, and he certainly could have died. But Heather nursed him through the night and said, Maynaz, you're not going to die here on the floor of our house. And by the morning, because all of the hospitals are closed, you can't travel at night, I went and I was able to take him to Port-au-Prince to the hospital, got an IV in him, and he, over the next few days, came to strength. But Menos understood that he could have died, and he showed that great gratitude to us. Yes, it was just something physical, but it's physical life. And he worked for us like one who showed that he was grateful Heidelberg question two, Heidelberg Catechism question two says this, how many things are necessary for you that you enjoying this comfort may live and die happily? What do we need to know for the Christian life? We know God has saved us. And the answer is three. The first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from all my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. You see, Menos and Rahab too understood how great their sins and miseries are, how they were under the judgment of God. They understood as well that they could be delivered from all their sins and miseries through the good news of the gospel. But now, 
how are they going to express their gratitude to God for such deliverance? How can we express that gratitude to God? Well, that's where the New Testament especially is so clear. We see it in the example of Rahab, but we really need to go to the New Testament to see very clearly that, yes, we are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and that it is following that because we are so thankful to the Lord that He has rescued us from the city of destruction that we would do good deeds, that He is prepared beforehand for us to do, that he gives us the strength to do by his Holy Spirit, and yet he calls us to that, to that sanctification. So how do we see Rahab's sanctification? Well, we see that she keeps her promises. Verse 15, she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. Often cities in that time, like Jericho, had two walls, and there would be an outer wall, maybe a little bit smaller than the inner wall, and some of the less well-off people of the city would have their houses in that space between the walls, and so it seems like Rahab's house was built into the wall. She had a window that went out into that wall, and so she was able to let the spies out. She keeps her promises. She says, I will save your life. I will rescue you if you promise to rescue me when you come and God delivers this city into your hands. And so she lets them out through the wall. She Not only that, she gives them good intelligence, good advice. She says, go into the hills. Stay on this side of the Jordan. Just go into the hills because they figured you're going to go straight down to the Jordan River so that you can cross the river and go back to your people. And that's where they're going to be waiting. Go into the hills. Just wait. And after three days, they'll stop looking, and then you can go go back to the people. But we see also that she obeys the sign that they give. The sure sign that they give is this scarlet cord that she is called to tie in the window. And there's a connection here if you think about it. Think about that color red. What does that remind you of in the story of the people of Israel? It should remind us of the Passover, right? The blood, the red blood, taking the lamb, killing it, eating the lamb, but taking the blood and putting it on the doorposts, on the lintel of the door. The blood on the door so that the angel of death will pass by, will go by, and death will not come to that house. In the same way, Rahab is called to put this scarlet cord, to hang it in the window to save her house. And in the same way as the Israelites were to stay inside their houses under the protection of the blood, Rahab too and her family are called to stay in the house, and so they will be saved. If anyone goes out of doors, his blood shall be on his own head. But if anyone is killed in your house who stays in, who does it, who is obedient, their blood will be on our head. And this is why she is commended. See, there's a New Testament connection here, isn't there? Because it's ultimately not the blood of a Passover lamb 
It's not the sign of a scarlet cord hanging in the window, but it is ultimately the blood of Jesus that covers over our sins. This is Rahab's Passover because she is obedient to the Lord, the sign that she gives. And her protection is found ultimately in Christ. One of the wonderful things about this story and why I think she really is the focus of what's going on here in chapter 2 is because she is grafted in to the very line, the very bloodline of the Savior of Jesus Christ. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, what do we read there? We read that Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And the genealogy goes on, and it ends with Jesus, the son of Joseph, part of the royal line, the kingly line that God had promised. But there's Rahab, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab brought into the line, brought into the very family of the Savior. And she is commended, interestingly, in the New Testament for her faith. She's there in James chapter 2. She's there in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. And if you remember in James chapter 2 here, James is speaking of the faith without works that is dead. And he's speaking of this idea of, of works and this justification in a different way than Paul. He's not speaking of the faith we're called to have in Christ and that we are justified only by the works of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by our own works. But he's saying we are justified, we are vindicated, our faith is shown to be true because of what we do by the grace of God. And so it was with Rahab. You see, he says in James chapter 2, verse 24, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Again, James is not saying that Rahab was saved by her works but she was showing the truthfulness of her faith. She was showing her gratitude to the Lord for the great salvation that, she had, that he had brought to her house by saving the spies, by doing exactly as they had said. So then we come to the end of the story, and we're going to hear about Rahab and her house later on again in the book of Joshua as the people eventually cross the river and come to the city. But she doesn't. According to your words, so be it. And then she sent them away, verse 21, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. The last person you would have thought, the last person you would have thought that God would choose to save in the city, and yet he saved her. The spies return. They give a good and a faithful report, believing in the promise of God that he would give the land into their hands. And Rahab receives mercy in the midst of judgment. Haven't we received the same thing? 
just like Rahab, living in that city, we too deserve destruction, eternal destruction. And yet God has been gracious to us. He has brought us in. He's given us a sure sign in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has grafted us into the family of God as Gentiles, as outsiders, but now brought in by the grace of God and called now to come into his house and even more will be gathered in. And so we need to pray. We need to give thanks for the salvation God has given to us, but be reminded as well that God saves whom he wills prostitutes, outsiders, idol worshipers, maybe your neighbors. So we are called to see the grace of God here to Rahab, to see the grace of God to us, and to think, who is it that God is going to bring into the church? Who is it that God is calling me to be a vessel of his word to? Who is God calling me to invite to this place that they might hear the words of Christ? If God can save a Canaanite prostitute, he can save anybody, and he does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your grace toward us. We give you thanks that you show us your love in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He came as a sure sign of your love for us, and he died in our place. It was through his death that we are made alive. Oh, Lord, help us to rejoice in that good news. Help us to live for you this week. Give us strength by your Spirit to live and give give testimony to the truth of the gospel. But we pray, Lord, that you would send us into into the week with your strength. Take these words, apply them to our hearts by your Holy Spirit, we pray. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask it.